Welcome to the New Zealand International Film Festival podcast series. Today's Q&A follows the New Zealand premiere screening of In My Blood It Runs. Director Maya Newell is in conversation with Annie Goldson and Jack Gray. We're going to ask for some questions from the floor, but I thought I might start with a, a kind of documentary question given I'm also a documentary maker. And I, I was interested in how the story unfolded, and I wondered how you came to work with that family, and in particular that young boy, because you never quite know with documentary mm. where you're going to go with characters. So how did that process come about? Sure. So. Um yeah, I'm, I actually been working in Alice Springs in the desert with Arinda Mob for a, about a decade or so now. I was very privileged to be invited about a decade ago to work with Arinda families in Alice Springs and to make films uh, with them about the empowering work that they're doing to educate children in language and culture and identity. And over those years, I've been through my own transformative kind of learning process and made heaps of mistakes. And a lot of those films were about um, like archiving knowledge systems, song lines for people. It was all very private. And I suppose In My Blood Runs is an organic kind of development of those relationships. And Carol, who's Dwight's grandmother, um, was one of you know, my teachers, and when I met Duan, I was just like, oh, here's this intelligent, you know, cheeky rascal with a deep sense of wisdom of the world, and I just thought he had so much to teach Australia, so we sort of started in that way. But yeah, it's, this is the result of a very long journey that I've been on in the desert. No, it felt like that. Those good documentaries took a long time to cook, didn't they? Mm. Yeah. And I will say as well, um, I sort of mentioned it at the start very briefly about the way that we made it and the collaborative approach to the filmmaking. And I think it is important to take a moment to elaborate on that because it's actually not commonplace in documentary. You know, obviously often there is a permission form that filmmakers, um, that subjects, you know, sign at the beginning and then they might not see it until the film is finished and then... It's like, oh, do you like it or not? Or, you know, is there a tick of approval? But there's not deep, meaningful consultation and certainly not creative control. And we were very aware, I suppose, I'm an Indigenous person and questioned for a long time how to make this film and with my own politics around um, people having the right to um, be part of the representation of their own stories. I spent a long time thinking about how to make this film in the right way. And there's a number of things that we worked on. So there's yeah, two First Nations producers. We made those in the film and Dwayne and his family core partners in the creation of the film. So they were a part of early messaging workshops and watching rushes and watching rough cuts and fine cuts and feeding back in day-long workshops and then ongoing into the distribution and, and impact. So it's been, you know, a very long process. You would have also seen Felicity Hayes, she's an executive producer and she's the senior traditional owner of the land in which we were filming on and we wanted to give her a title that had currency in the film industry um, that recognised her <coughs> sense of um, you know, security and support that she, we, that she gave us to film on her land. So there's a number of things throughout the process of making which 
I think we're really proud of, and we by no means did it perfectly, but, but we made a real effort to rethink how documentary is made in order to make this film in line with our politics. And Jack, I think Maya was curious in giving your response, you know, as an Indigenous voice in New Zealand, or, you know, what resonances you feel. Sure, I feel that. Um, yeah, so I'm the artistic director of Artemita Dance Company, and um, I've done a lot of uh, exploration around, um, I guess, institutions and indigeneity, and, and different ways in which spaces come together or not. And um, as I was watching the film, I was recalling a journey that I'd made to Uluru, which um, is very near Alice Springs, and um, just seeing a lot of the um, the core issues being mirrored and reflected um, in many of the spaces, not just in Australia, but also around the world. And one of the things that I was thinking about at Uluru was um, there's an op option to not climb the mountain. And that option is signposted um, as a wish of the people of the land. Um, and then alongside that is directions how to go there should you want to. And I found that really curious and really interesting that given, um, given the chance to weigh up the wishes of the people and of um, custodianship and of caretakership, um, that people would, out of their own curiosity and self, make their own choices. And um, so after that time, um, they finally got to passing a, a, a law, and the new law where um, I think it's going to be phased out mm. in the next year or so. But And, and what that came down to was um, that it had to drop between, I think, 16% of people visiting that national park had to not climb or something so that um, so they achieved that number and then what's happened now is this deluge of people going oh my god it's going to close let's climb it so it's done this kind of weird thing so I, I the reason why I bring these up is because um, one of the other key thoughts that I've heard from people um, is around listening and around listening to the land as a process for, um, you know, I like to think of idea of moving forward. Um, obviously moving forward means many different things in many different contexts. And, and the story, I think, um, they were exposing through his eyes, um, Duan's perspective about um, what that might mean, you know, in, in a very um, essential level. So, um, yeah, so it just brings up lots of different thoughts, I think, about locating, how we locate ourselves, how we locate our processes of acknowledging, respecting, connecting, and being. And then I think underpinning all of that is this gigantic um, other moment and other reverberation around colonization and then also around sort of. Um, where we are now mm. and I think the, the teachers and the um, principal in, in, in this film kind of underscored something you know that there were very limited voices outside of the indigenous um, perspectives but the ones that were there were saying I don't understand I don't get it myself this, I don't know why we're doing this and enforcing 
um, other ways of being. So I think to me what it brought up was um, a, a sense of kinship and a sense of understanding. And then it also raised to me this clarity around um, why it is that things are difficult and why it is that people are being marginalised, discriminated against and violently abused. And, and then it brings it into further question about what, who could, who, how could we let that happen? How, um, in whose place, like what can we do from the place that we're coming from in order to address um, that situation? And I think that it reads uh, globally which is why it's um, so great to see the mm -hmm. film, so great to meet you and have the chance to, um, I guess, be put on the spot. And I'm, I'm happy to be put on the spot because I think mm -hmm. it puts us all on the spot. <laughs> and I think that I'm articulating my words, my voice from my experiences and from experiences of other people whose stories resonate similarly. And so, um, you know, documentary has that other potentiality, which is kind of bringing it into this tangible space of activism. So I'm really curious to hear more a little bit about that and some of the um, other opportunities that the audience here have to engage with. So Gilda. Mm. Thank you. And I think as well, just what you just said, like I, in, a, in Australia, we really look to New Zealand as being the thought leaders in Māori education and, you know, in, in media and in representation and, I think when making this film, you know, we're, we're really looking forward to developing the grassroots for a First Nations-led education system in Australia off the back of the film and the work of people for a long time. But I also know that there's lots of parallels here and uh, they must, it's very, you know, tricky. You don't want to look to Australia and think, oh, they're much worse for us and therefore we don't have anything to fight for here because I understand there's big fights around child removal and maintaining education for Maori children. But anyway, I look forward to learning more about that while I'm here. Do we have questions from the floor? I'm sure you've all thought deeply and have some good ones. Is that any have? Yes, there's one. Thank you. To, to me, it seemed to take quite a while into the film to either hear or see any positive older male role models. Is this by intent? Um, yeah, it's a question that comes up. Um, sometimes, I suppose just in Duan's own family, which are his core uh, caregivers, he, um, you know, he has grandfathers who have recently passed away. Um, some of his uncles out on country are in the film, but they were just weren't, weren't core to this story. So uh, it's not a comment on, on purpose. And I think that his final um, moment of, of finding strength with his father in the north is not a reflection on Indigenous culture in Australia, but just the, how incredible his, his father is. And there's obviously a range of different um, elements to his new life up there, which contribute to his well-being. Did you want to add anything? Does that answer your question? Yeah. Uh, and also, while I don't want to, I don't want to um, focus on the, on the negative in this way, but it is true that there are many of Duan's family who are incarcerated in Alice Springs because that is a, a big issue for 
um, Arunga and Indigenous men in Australia, as is shown in the film. I feel as if we see this sort of this sort of these sorts of images, these sorts of movies over and over and over again. And the point you made of the people in those schools talking to these kids from a from a another point of view. I just I can't understand it. It just is mm. so frustrating that they just are not taught, those teachers are not taught that that is totally inappropriate to be sitting there and being and not knowing what they're teaching and, and saying they don't know. I mean you can't imagine anyone in any other school quite frankly standing around saying, I'm teaching you this but I don't know anything about it. What a load of rubbish. It's so frustrating. Anyway, <laughs> I, that's a wonderful comment and I also, um, yeah, I mean, I, I share your anger and and uh, at the ignorance and originally, actually, when I started um, sitting with Dorothy's family, I, I thought we were making a film just about education and it's, you know, we were going out on country with these kids, Duan is a healer, he is confident, he speaks two Indigenous languages. Yet he and many of his um, friends are, are considered failures in the education system. And it really is no surprise because they are measured by Western values and only taught in English. Um, and it gets them nowhere told over and over again that they're failures. I mean, that's not good. That's right. And I think, you know, my heart really broke when Don was given that report card that told him that he was failing in everything. And I don't know how our system can... Um, yeah, how, how could that possibly be a positive um, influence for him and his education? But one of the things that we will be working on in the release of the film in Australia is um, one of we sat with the families and they identified a whole number of change goals, and one of those is to build the political support for a First Nations led education system in Australia. And so we'll be working with Children's Ground, one of our partner organisations, and the Kilera, um, and a whole new coalition of First Nations uh, educators across the Territory who are trying to work out what that would look like in Australia. And obviously it's quite complex because there's you know, over hundreds of different nations, but it is absolutely possible. And, um, yeah, and also a, a project for the mainstream education and how do we develop ideas of cultural uh, safety in schools for First Nations kids. I actually have a little thing that Luan wrote about what he'd like to say about the film and it sort of relates to your question, well, to your comment. So I might just read it. Um, and he's, we said, you know, Duan, what would you like to say to the Prime Minister? And he says, I want my school to be run by Aboriginal people. I think we should stop crawling 10-year-olds in jail. And I want my future to be out on land with family and strong culture and language. So we're working on those things, Dwan. I think what Dwan was saying there was really what was in my mind also. You're, you're talking about a culture which is sort of 60 to 70,000 years old. And now it's trying to cope with a culture which has been introduced over the last 300 years from the other side of the world. 
and to expect there to be a smooth kind of interaction between the cultures, I think, is is almost an impossible expectation. And it seems that Duan was happiest when he was back in his own culture without the Western influences. Um, and that was the sort of the high point of, of, of the movie, really. So I find it quite difficult to understand what the solution can be in Australia, quite frankly, with the attitude of so many of the of white Australian people is completely closed to any prospect of any sort of reasonable future interaction between the cultures. So I'm sorry, but I find it really very depressing and, and the outcome is quite, or, or the potential outcome, is quite dismal. Uh, I think in New Zealand we, we are lucky that we do have a different relationship between the cultures and probably a much healthier attitude between the different racial representatives in this nation. So, sorry, that's probably not a very positive response or action, but that's the way I'm feeling about it. Yeah, thanks for sharing your perspective and feelings. It is, it is dire in many ways, um, but there's also a real renaissance and shift and change in Australia at the moment. There's a lot of talk about some exciting change on the on the horizon and I think for families and for, you know, I know from Carol and what she's told me in the past that they've been fighting this for a long time. There's been a resistance movement for a long time and they need to maintain a sense of hope for, for, the, for the future. Um, what was I going to say? Um, one of the one of the things that I think is really core and is sort of the linchpin for so much of the change is for Australia to really truly acknowledge the history that you know of invasion and ongoing genocide and um, that process of truth telling um, should happen first you know and Duane is able to articulate that in the film and that's why. I think you'll see those sequences where he, you know, he came to me and he said, "My, I have a, I have a memory of Aboriginal people. You know, I was born with a memory of of them." And I think we can underestimate um, that feeling of of history and how it runs into all of these children and they carry that with them. So Duane understands the need to tell the truth about the history. We just need to convince our our politicians. I was just thinking that what he said here was a pretty good start <laughs> at an idea of how we do it. Um, and I was thinking, why, why is it so, like, we can't even see that something that's not um, Western-led is a possibility, that actually Aboriginal-led ideas around education and other systems and are, um, yeah, as I say, like, that's a valid option. And so how, how so... The thing to me is, why is that not happening? And that's where the question needs to go. Not what is the happening, but why is it happening? Because these things are being said over and over again. And, um, you know, whether it's protect mana care or ikimata or whatever, like these ideas around why places are sacred and why people are turning up to put their voices towards that and activate that is because, um, you know, as we say, there, there are political 
and historical um, conflicts that need to be addressed and we need to move it through. And I think too, I want my future to be out on the land with family and strong my culture and my language. Um, I, I just think that we keep underestimating what land means to, to people. And I think it's, it's definitely a political situation rather than a lack of ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, it is about shifting who has ownership and how that happens. So um, I think potentially instead of taking on a sense of um, sadness and that we can actually look at this and go, actually let ourselves breathe through the uncomfortability of what it's going to take to decolonize our attitudes in our present and, and to ensure a, a different outcome in the future. And, um, and, and I just want to touch a little bit on education in Aotearoa. Um, so friends, a friend, friends of mine work specifically in um, organisations that go out to um, look at Māori um, achievement standards in schools and, and, and then they take holistically into account why it is that the, the grades are looking at the way that they are and, and who was prospering and who wasn't and what can be done and what can be shifted in terms of the school, the education, the outcome. So um, <clears throat> I think that it's, I think complex and problematic are really useful ways of thinking about it because interaction and coming together is always going to be difficult. But um, maybe, you know, a starting point, um, I, I, I read somewhere recently, someone posed a question of what are you willing to give up? And I think that's a really interesting thought to have. Absolutely. I think, um, yeah, it actually, a shift in power actually requires you to give something too and to, and to be vulnerable in that space. Um, when we did, so we finished the workshops on the making of the film and then we transitioned into how, how do you want Australia to receive this film? What are the change goals that you want? And we sat with elders for three days out on country to work out what those goals would be. Um, and we came up with two very key messages of the film which meant the most to families in it. And the first one was we want people around the world to know that Aboriginal parents love their children. And that is absurd that that needs to be a key message in, you know, in Australia and elsewhere. Um, for Indigenous people, but it is it is true. And the other big one is, um, which I think actually underscores every, all the other work that we're doing, which is just people should have the agency to control their own lives. And I know that self-determination is also, you know, we've had a ripple effect through, through New Zealand as well. It really is the core to all significant, meaningful change. We have a woman in the front here. Uh, kia ora. Um, I really like the fact that you have a um, young man um, telling his story, and thank you for that, Lindsay. Um, I'm, I'm interested to know what he thinks about his himself on screen. I mean, that's over how many years were you filming? About two on screen, but yeah, about three years making it. 
That's a very good question because on the other side of this note is Dewan's response to what is it like to have a film made about you? Um, and he said, it's nice and a bit scary having a film about me. It's nice because it's the first time I'm releasing my story to the whole wide world. It's scary because strangers are looking at my story. But I'm proud that my story might give other Aboriginal kids hope and strength. Does that answer your question? Oh yeah, so um, taking him, yeah, so we've got some, it's pretty exciting for our world premiere, which was at Hot Docs Film Festival in Toronto, the whole family came. So it was actually crazy. I think it was harder getting passports for eight Avenger and Gadora family members than it was to make the film. That was about three months of our whole team's life. It was like... Um, Insane, and I, I also learned a lot about the, the racism, structural racism and, and administrivia um, in terms of people's documentation and ID. We had to, on every single piece of Megan's ID, a letter in her name was spelt wrong, which then invalidated every other piece of ID. Um, and it's those little things like, you know, what do we call the racism? that I can't be bothered to ask you how to spell your name when I'm putting, making your birth certificate. You know, it's, we've, we've been on a very long journey, but it was beautiful to actually get to Toronto um, with the whole family. And then they all came to Sydney as well. And we've just been invited by the UN to go with, to, to go to Geneva to present the film um, for the, UN Committee on the Rights of the Child. So Dewan will be addressing the UN in September. Kia ora everybody and kia ora Maya for that film. Um, I, yeah, I wanted to go back a couple of questions and I, I do I do have a question and the overarching kind of idea of that is, is um, who did you make this film for? Um, and I'll kind of get back to that point because there's been a couple of comments in the, in the audience about how frustrating or shocking it is to see these teachers mm -hmm. act this way. And then also the kind of depression that you feel when you see a sort of unsolvable situation. So to me, I see that actually it might be shocking or frustrating to see that, but for our kids and I know for my siblings who might be protected in a kurakaupa Māori system, but dealing a, a, with a white world around them, it's not shocking and it's not, you know, it's not, it's not shocking to see that. Mm. Um, yes, it is frustrating and yes, it's, it's depressing, but what's the next step? So, so you talked about kind of giving up power. What is it that we do? What is it that us as a, as a majority white audience can do? As if we, when we walk out of the cinema, yes, there's there's the the website that you've put up, and there's like a very practical thing that you can do. But actually, what do we do for the rest of our lives in this fight? Big question. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, firstly, around audience, I think it's a really interesting question, and we always had two audiences for this film, and we've done a lot of test screenings and, and screened. To different people, and I think that you're right. The, the you know the first audience is for Indigenous people in Australia and all over the world, and their response to this film is, yeah, that's our life, you know, and have felt 
reflected and, and represented in the, in the story. Uh, I can't speak for everybody, but that's my general feeling. For the mainstream white audience, it is deep shock that this could be happening in Australia. And it's a very different read um, of the film. But I think those, you know, two audiences we had in mind throughout the creation of the film and making sure that the First Nations perspective was represented, you know, by the, by the family in the making. Um, in terms of what to do, it is very tricky, like in a very sort of direct way in, in terms of this film. On gearmybloodatrunners.com there are a number of take actions if you want to, you know, contribute to the Indigenous-led organisations in Alice Springs that we work with or join the Raise the Age campaign that we'll be working on or, you know, support the First Nations-led education system. But in a broader sense, um, I really do think that and this is just my personal opinion, obviously, that everything comes back to agency. So I think a lot of it is in, in behaviours of everyday people. Is if you were in a situation where you could be giving the microphone or the voice to a First Nations person, then that is what you should do. If you're walking down the street and you witness racism, then you should step in. If you're in your workplace and there is not an acknowledgement in a country at an important event and you should say something or if you think that they should create you know new jobs for people in the organization uh, with a different perspective and stand up but i'm gonna let you <laughs> no that was really great i loved it and um i was sort of thinking around knowledge that sometimes we just have a limited knowledge and so um, the question is, how do we attain knowledge? And um, in the work that I've done internationally, um, I've put myself into vulnerable spaces to ask questions and to um, assume um, something else could happen. And I think a practice that I'm lucky to carry through being Māori, but also um, you know, through my own choice, is to consider the land that we're always on. And often it isn't the land that you know. It's not the name. It's not, that's not the traditional name. That's actually a name that has come at a certain time by a certain person. So I think that people, um, to me, whiteness is about vagueness. It's not necessarily about culture. It's actually just about kind of not pinpointing something somewhere. And I think that navigating um, is the potential of the reality because we're all existing in different spaces and we've all had different upbringings and we've all come from different places and we're going to different places, theoretically, spiritually, emotionally. So to me, it's, it's a broader, bigger, deeper um, space that beckons the world and I think that's why coming into rooms where we can sit and think and watch and view and cry in the dark and go home and be annoyed or be enlightened you know this is the purpose this is the opportunity so to me it's about being present I think that that indigeneity and that idea of um, you know it runs through yeah. it's and 
yeah, I, like, I was looking at everything. I'm looking at the dirty water. I'm looking at the skin. I'm looking at um, that ointment. I'm thinking about the plant. I'm looking at the fire and the burning and all of those things. And all of that is happening everywhere all the time. But do you see it? That's the question. And to me, again, it goes back to that idea of whiteness because it's just blanking it out. And so don't blank it out. See it and ask or don't ask and just notice and wait till it gets told. So these are some ideas and some thoughts. And then I also think it's really political change. Like we can change our behaviour, but it is the governments that need to stand account to deep structural shift and change. So think about who you're voting for. Do they have a platform on these issues? You know, go to the rallies, be a part of it. I would just like to congratulate you as a filmmaker too. I thought the way that you wove in the historical archive was very beautifully crafted and it felt very much like young, like Duane's memory in a sense. So I thought that that made the film less didactic. Even though I know it's about education, I didn't find it a didactic film and I thought your use of craft and character and those kind of historical elements worked very well. So congratulations as a filmmaker too. say thank you for a most thought-provoking uh, movie. It's the best one I've seen so far <laughs> at the film festival here in Auckland. Um, I'd just like to know where's Duane now? Does he still stay with his dad or what's happened to him? Good question. Yeah, so Duane is still up in Moralua with his um, family up there and yeah, I haven't been up there since we finished the film, but he apparently is going to school. <laughs> um, and he's also, they have access to their land and country in uh, is, is much easier than in Alice Springs. There's a much, um, there's a much less felt police presence because Borrowola has, I don't know, like a population of like 2,000 or something like that. Um, but he seems very strong and happy right now and he's being very proud of the screenings. I mean, at Sydney Film Festival, he was like, can I come and introduce it with you at the beginning? And he was like signing autographs and at the end, I was like, oh shit, what have we created? <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so I think that he is doing very well and, but it is our ongoing responsibility as a film um, to ensure um, a sort of uh, an ongoing duty of care plan for Duan throughout the release of this film. So we've worked with his family to work out a number of things to make that transition from big city to Borrowola, you know, feel good. Uh, for example, they go out on country for a week or so and our film crew supports him to do that to sort of lessen the blow of the transition back uh, and a number of things like that. Um, but yeah, he's also going to be heading into a very difficult, you know, teen years probably, which is tricky for anybody, regardless of what, where you come from. Um, so yes. So I've got two comments. Is that I started school as a white person in 1941, so I'm really ancient. And I saw when I was going through the school system about how the white people were always in the top stream and the Maoris were down the bottom stream. Um, I had the good fortune to work at Hillary College in Otara from 1968 to 1975. 
It was the first multicultural school in New Zealand. It was set up <coughs> as a, um, uh, an example. We used to have leaders of the uh, New Zealand Parliament, Australian Parliament, English Parliament, including Maggie Thatcher. Everybody through there to see how the school was changing and how it was being run. And they had, in 1968, they had introduced the Māori language as part of their curriculum. And the children had the opportunity to learn. But once they started the Māori cultural group, it's that's when I started to see the pupils shine. There was one pupil there called Elsie, who was always out of class. She was Māori and she was always out of class. But once they started the Māori club, is that she became a leader and she changed. She turned into an absolutely wonderful person as a, a future uh, career to, to, to look up to. So I've seen quite a change in my lifetime. And I believe the change that started then and it's still changing now. And I'm happy to see that the Maori language is being incorporated through television and radio. It's being incorporated more and more. But having lived in Australia for seven and a half years as well, I lived in a place called Harvey Bay. And we had a, um, a, a whole day there for an indigenous integration. And the Aborigines were there giving a whole day of exhibitions of cultural dancing and understanding. And it was an amazing experience. But I might add through the whole day, there were six white faces. But when you consider that Australia has only started to introduce, for example, the the uh, opportunity for Aborigines to vote since about the 1960s. I believe it takes quite a while for cultures to integrate and to change and for the white people to start the word acceptance is a big word. And I feel that it's going to take time, but I'm glad that your film is going to be shown in places where people can start to understand that there are other cultures beside the white man. Thank you. I think that has to be our last question because I believe there's another screening coming up. But I'd just like to thank you from the bottom of our hearts, I think, for more time and wish you well with the journey of the film. Thank you so much for having me here. If you do want to follow up, it's in my blood at runs.com.